Support for Yagni is provided by Arrows. Arrows is the tool for onboarding sales and success teams to close revenue faster and create happy customers. Give everybody the answer to what's next with customer onboarding software that connects directly to HubSpot. I think you should start a UML diagram TikTok <laughs> because these people don't know. Nobody knows what a UML diagram even is. There is a dream, right? Was IBM's, um, I forget what it was called, but you would write your UML diagrams and it would just produce the code for you. I don't know if that ever actually happened. I think that's what they call no code. Yeah. Uh, you just go into Notion and drag and drop some things and then the software will be written. Today I'm joined by Dave Copeland. He is the CTO at Mood Health and the author of Sustainable Web Development with Ruby on Rails. Before that, Dave was an early employee at Stitch Fix and Living Social. On today's episode of Yagni, we talk about small user stories, Taylorism, the big design up front straw man, and if we can find the 2022 version of Agile on TikTok. Welcome to Yagni. So I did the first 10 years of my career in the custom software consulting space, you know, doing uh, Scrum and Agile and all that kind of stuff. So I have uh, I have sipped the Kool Aid and you know been up and down the mountain of uh, Agile. And I like how you phrase it on Twitter. Uh, it's like uh, you know Agile guys TM with a capital A. And so I'm familiar with most of these people. Um, so I think what we're going to talk about today is the sort of Agile virtue of stories should always be small and you should strive to have your user stories broken down into one day tasks. Um, if they're bigger than one day, then you have sort of failed in your duty as an agile practitioner and, you know, you should be uh, slicing it down uh, much further. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this agile, so there's like big a agile and little a agile. So I learned a lot about little a agile working at a startup where I think we did the things that Agile people would say you should do in a general sense. But there's a lot of stuff in Agile that's very regimented, like you, your story must be one day or more. It's like, or like single responsibility principle, or you must write code only for a fit. Like it's all these like must always shell, never blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, you just take it to the extreme because you lose the nuance of like why that's a thing. Like, why do we want to, sh why do we want to work in small increments? Right. That's the mm -hmm. question. And yeah, we should, right. Because you get quicker feedback. You're forced to think of like, what is something valuable I can deliver in a short amount of time to get that feedback. And then if I get distracted or I get told my priorities have changed, then I have delivered some value because I scoped something valuable down to as small as I could. That's, mm -hmm. that's super important. I think turning that into your, your work must be done in a day or you haven't like broken it down enough. Like, I don't think that's very helpful. I think that's, I think that encourages Jira-itis, right? Where it's like, oh, my job is to close Jira tickets. So I'm going to like make Jira tickets that I can close in a day. And then my job as a developer is to close Jira tickets. And like, that's not, right. that's progress, but that's not really de delivering value. And I don't think that goes along. I don't think that is really the spirit of, of lowercase a agile. Yeah, and I think I think that sort of um, resonated with me because, like, having lived in that world of like the, um, I, it's it's basically thought of a pejorative now, but like a feature factory, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, where like your goal is, um, like, you're working on a team, and a company hires that team, and your goal is to deliver a certain, uh, you know, throughput and velocity, and they measure that mm. based on tickets, and yeah, um, you know, it, it's. 
it's interesting. And like, as I've gotten kind of out of that world and you look into some of the origins, um, I just think it's kind of an interesting story in general. Like, I think a lot of the agile stuff has its roots in uh, Taylorism, which is like uh, scientific management. It's this, this guy, Frederick Taylor, who had like a steel yeah. plant. Do you know okay. the story? No, I don't. Huh. So there's this guy like Frederick Taylor, and he was running this like steel mill. And so um, he and it's hard when you look back, it's like these guys all have some kind of strange, like uh, puritanical like value <laughs> system. Right. So like his, yeah. his big thing was like uh, he didn't feel like um, some people were like working hard enough, basically, mm. at his steel factory. Okay. And so he came up with these uh, metrics that were like, oh, for every part of this process, like how long should it take like a hardworking man to do? Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, to sh- you know, you should be able to shovel like two tons of coal a day or whatever. Yeah. And so that that kind of became the origin of like uh, like performance targets and uh, this whole field that they called scientific management, which was like, oh, yeah, we've measured and then we can we can yeah. process this. And it's kind of like the root of uh, you can see like the, you can trace back the lineage of like Henry Ford and the assembly line and all this kind of manufacturing systems. And you get to like. Toyota yeah. and uh, Honda production systems, and that's really where it like directly ties in when people start talking mm-hmm. about about uh, Kanban and Lean and yeah. uh, and how those things kind of get morphed into the software world. So yeah. it's, it's really interesting that that uh, it's kind of uh, struck struck me as as funny that like now we call like a feature factory like a bad thing, and it's like well, right, you took management principles for right. factories, you applied them. yeah, you applied them to software, and like you're you were surprised you <laughs> that uh, like you didn't build a, a software uh, factory. Yeah, well, it's funny because it's like there there's this perpetual need of like managers that don't understand how software works to manage like it's a factory because that's the only mental model they have for like how do I know anybody's getting anything done and how do I see if if they could be working harder and the assumption like well what if they're not working hard enough how do I like know Mm -hmm. that right and it it makes it makes sense but like someone has to explain like that's not really how software development works it's very it's very very hard to get it to work that way and I think a lot of people wouldn't really want to work under a system that did work that way um, so I don't know. And then the other option is like, like the game industry where it's like, well, here's a date and you're just going to work your ass off and hit that date. And I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so like those two options are both terrible. Um, but any, t- I don't, every single time I've worked somewhere where we had like story points or any kind of, everybody wants to turn it into hours or days or weeks or something. And like, it's really hard. You, you spend a lot of time explaining that's not what we're trying to do. That's not how software works. And it gets very tiring Mm-hmm. To be constantly explaining that, like, it's not as predictable as you would like it to be. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, because from that, like, manufacturing and like control theory lens, that's how that's how like manufacturing processes are monitored, right? So um, you might you might like measure the vibration of like this machine and say like, okay, if it's if it's like more than one standard deviation away, then like that's like. Uh, you know, like out of control or like how many, how many uh, widgets can we make? And you're expecting it to be very consistent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I almost, I almost wonder how much of this too is like the fact that, uh, well, I, I don't know if it's a fact, but uh, my, my yeah. anecdotes at least that like agile seem to like kind of proliferate through like larger kind of manufacturing based companies that were like transitioning to software clients a lot of the clients that i worked with were 
like it's yeah. you know uh you know a big green tractor farming company that is used to like right. producing uh machinery and dealing with like the yield of uh you know industrial farming like oh yeah like we can do software too right well and they get these consultants right because there's a lot of money to be made being a consultant to do agile transformations because it's basically like we have software people we don't know how to manage them they we don't think they're like getting anything done that we want agile comes in and says hey there's all these practices and stuff that can help and like in theory it can help like i'm sure i'm sure it does um but it's still you still end up with that like now we've got things we can measure so let's measure them and you know i don't know how how measurable they are or how how how, how predictable i mean even like are you familiar with dora that like the yearly um it used to be an independent thing and now Google owns it. But it's basically like they do this big survey of industry hmm. and they ask all these questions that basically try to figure out like how much value are you delivering as a team? They don't ask it that directly. They ask a bunch of things that sort of like hone in on it. But then they ask a bunch of stuff about how your team works. Like how quickly can you deploy? Uh, if something goes wrong, how quickly do you know about it and fix it? And so they come up with these like, they feel like better metrics, right? Like if your team is like deploying things quickly um, and they're fixing things frequently and they don't have a lot of errors in production and there's like a fourth one I can't remember, then you can say you're doing a good job and then they can correlate that with teams who answered all of these business value questions. And then they can say elite teams, teams that are delivering business value by their own judgment but are delivering business value ship to production more quickly. So so the, in theory, then these are things you can measure to see how well you are doing. And even that is still this indirected way. Like just because yeah. I deploy quickly doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm delivering more business value. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why you see people online are saying like, oh, we shouldn't do code reviews because that gets in the way of me delivering quickly. Or that's that's a, that's a gate between me and my changes and being able to get them up on production. And like that is true, but just because you're like unreviewed code changes go to production doesn't mean you're all of a sudden an elite team. Like yeah. if, right? Um, or even if it's not broken, right? You could ship all the most amazing, unbroken, quickly delivered code in the world, but if it's not solving a problem that somebody has, then what was the point of it? And that's right. really hard to measure. Yeah, I don't know how you measure that. Yeah, it's it's even interesting. Just you even like raising the concept of like um, an elite team to me. Like that, yeah. that makes me think that like, and it's so different too when you talk about uh, like a game company versus like a Fortune you know, Fortune 100 manufacturing company. Yeah. Um, like an elite team is almost bad, right? In, in the kind of Fortune <laughs> 100 uh, concept, right? Yeah. And like everyone kind of knows the meme of like, hey, if you don't spend all your budget, uh, you know, like you lose your, your budget, right? Right, and, yeah, and totally. And that, that kind of dovetails into that one, like, you know, weird principle that's like the work fills the time allotted, allotted or whatever. And yeah. It like if you're operating in one of those contexts, like consistency is the most important thing. And so like actually having an elite team is like actually probably bad because it's not predictable. And yeah, a lot of these companies are set up such that like they care more about uh, consistency than than the payoff versus like a game dev studio. It's like uh, it, it's almost all about the payoff, right? It's like right. we're gonna kill our, we're gonna kill ourselves, like have this huge crunch time of development, and you hope that you get like the outsized return of like, yeah, this is like the next big game, and everybody makes you know a shit ton right. of money here. Yeah, but it's like the like, effort you put well, in doesn't necessarily determine if the game is any good. You got to hit the deadline yeah. for reasons, but um, that's the thing but is at, like at least at least the payoff is like yeah. 
uh, asymmetric. Like it's yeah. possible, right? Like it's right. possible to have this huge hit versus like if you're like, okay, I'm the 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 VP of this product line within this 20,000 person megacorp, like your outcome is like, I was assigned these four projects for the year and like they all delivered within time and budget. Like right. that's how you sort of like win that game versus, okay, yeah. if you're a game company, it's like we need to like actually have uh, results and it doesn't matter so much like how we got there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why, like when I was saying it, um, early at Stitch Fix, it felt very like lowercase a agile because we, I mean, it's not a technology company, right? So it's like, we're signing up customers who want clothes. We have a warehouse full of clothes. They need to get delivered to them. They need to get returned. Like there's a bunch of like stuff that like any regular company would do that's not technology, but there's a technology team. And early on, I mean, it was small, like less than 10 people, no product management, no, like, I mean, there was a CTO and then us. And so it was very much like we had to go talk to the people we're building the software for, figure out what they wanted, um, try to deliver something quickly to get feedback. All that stuff that you hear about with Agile, like we had to do that because there's no other way to do it. And then you could see, okay, I made this change to the, our warehouse management system and they're tracking these metrics. And like, ah, that change meant that we were faster at picking the shipments and that reduced our labor cost by X percent. So awesome, great investment. Or you'd have the opposite, where like we did this thing, we thought it would be a good idea, it didn't have any effect. Okay, and so we really had to go quickly. All that agile stuff we had to do, but we didn't have any like Jira story points, tickets, mm -hmm. users. So we didn't have any of that stuff. We just constantly were talking to the people whose job it was to run that part of the business, and constantly delivering them things to look at. And then when you do that, you don't need any of that stuff. Now, how do you do that with two hundred engineers and a five thousand person company? I don't know if it works that way. I think you need to be more organized. Yeah. And I think that's where all this stuff starts, all these like ceremonies start to, to crop up. Yeah, it, it really seems like Agile or like the related frameworks are almost like, um, it's sort of like a Band-Aid that you need because as you get bigger, like you're just, un I, I feel like you're un unable to find like enough highly skilled, specialized people that can, that can do that, that like they yeah. need... Like you need sort of guardrails and guidelines and hard and fast rules, even if the rules don't really make sense. Like you're willing to accept that, like, uh, hey, like we can put we can put like a uh, you know an average uh, quality uh, you know person in this in this role, and if they do these things, even if they don't understand them, like It'll it, it will out. be better than just kind of you know yeah. chaos. Yeah. And we tried, I mean, we, part of our interview process was like, there isn't, there was a part of the interview that was like asking you to do this, like, Hey, talk to a user and don't propose some cockamamie technology thing, like really work with them. Like, so we tried really hard to hire people like that. But then the other side too, is like, when you get big enough, it's like the junior associate in the warehouse doesn't have any agency to say, yeah, I'm going to get everyone working in all of our warehouses to change their process. Like they just don't have that right. agency. So who does? And then it turns out it's some like VP of ops and like that person, they don't have all day to like sit and talk in detail about software. So you have to have some way to communicate with them. Here's what we want to do and why. And then they want to know, did it work? And it just gets complicated. Yeah. I think the other thing that is sort of appealing about agile is like it, um, it's a complete worldview and whether or not like the worldview is good, um, like yeah. 
a complete worldview that like is at least for the most part logically consistent with itself is like an easier sell to someone that doesn't have yeah. uh like strong opinions right it's like a prepackaged thing and that's why you know you can yeah. get a consultant that will come in and they will hand you like a 80 page you know uh, spiral bound book that is like here is like here's the training for how to do yeah, this here's how it works and it's cer- it's certainly like a more appealing product than well you're just gonna have to kind of figure it out for like 10 years and then you'll kind of know what sort of works right. sometimes yeah and the funny thing is a lot of these sort of core agile proponents they would say that you shouldn't hand off this like spiral notebook that you should use these things to figure out what's right for you and yeah, you should, but like, it's hard. Like that yeah. explaining that is hard. And who's going to pay, I don't know what these guys get paid, $500 an hour or $5,000 a day. That's a lot of money for like a couple of years of like learning, um, mm-hmm. to figure out what your process is. And so I don't think anyone's going to, anyone's going to pay that. So it's no wonder that this stuff gets turned into like these sort of like rules of thumb things that you just follow and do blindly without thinking about what they are. Yeah. Though I'm constantly surprised why agile people are surprised that this is what happens. I, I just don't, it's, 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 like, it's totally obvious. Like if you say, oh, you should break your stories down. Okay, how, how, how much should we break them down? Oh, you know, maybe like a day. Okay, all stories should be done within a day. I was like, whoa, no, that's not what I meant. But it's kind of what you said and kind of how it's going to get interpreted. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote down on my little notes here. A phrase, and I'd be curious to know, like, what uh, what your take on this would be. And um, it's nobody is talking about agile on TikTok. <laughs> you know, I don't use TikTok. I see TikToks when they get retweeted. Um, yeah, I don't, even know I don't either. Sense, but like, I don't even I, know if this is true. I just thought it was an interesting. Yeah, concept. I I wonder about it because I was thinking like, so one of my coworkers like makes mechanical keyboards on TikTok. And I'm sure his videos are not like quote unquote funny. They're probably interesting to watch, but not like funny, goofy things, which is what I think of as TikTok. So it could mean that the demographic of people on TikTok is such that like they aren't yet thinking about software process because there's got to be right. I mean, I don't know how old you are. I know how old I am. There's definitely people who are considered Gen Z, who spend a lot of time on TikTok, who probably hold the title of senior software engineer at some company, who probably have experience being engineers. And, and care about being a good engineer. Like there, there's definitely people out there like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just kind of wonder like if, if that is like the next generation of software leaders, at least at like the individual yeah. contributor level, like what what is like, what's the agile, you know, of, right. of 2022? Yeah. Because it seems like agile has gone the way of waterfall a little bit which is that like uh it's been like turned into a straw man version of itself where the principles have been (laughs) diluted by you know consultants uh because to like reach the masses it needs to be digestible and Mm -hmm. but at the same time uh i don't know like my my initial reaction would be that like things like oh yeah you should only like break stories down into one day would be like would fit perfectly with like the bite size, like no context, like Twitter, TikTok uh, style yeah. of like information dispersal now. Like, yeah. But, like when I was coming up, it was like, oh, you got to read this programming book from the, you know, pragmatic bookshelf and it's like a 300 page book. And now it's like, yeah, here's like eight seconds of some person who works at Facebook, you know, like pointing to yeah. a text box saying, like, you know, 
Right. Big functions, bad. Yeah, I I don't know. I do wonder what software engineering TikTok is is like. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. When when I was much younger, there there wasn't social media, and so I just learned what I learned from like the other engineers that I worked with or or reading books because that was just kind of all there was. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's like there's a diversity of ideas that there isn't. No, like for me, it was like I did waterfall because that's what you did, and then agile came along, and that's what you did. And there wasn't a lot of other inputs of ideas. Like it was like you could read a book or you could go to a conference or your manager would tell you something. And now there's like a thousand places to get information. And so every idea is out there. I don't know. I mean, it's really, really hard for me to, hard for me to tell. Yeah. I think some of, some of the things that were so like new or appealing about agile, I think just like the good the, the, you know, like the most effective, the good parts, like just became table stakes everywhere. And so it kind of like lost its um, affiliation with Agile. I think you can see that too. Like if you look, do you remember there was a thing that was called like the Joel test that was like yes. Joel Spolsky's mm-hmm. like Definitely. way of evaluating like a, a company or like a potential job posting or something. And right. Like you looked at, you look at that and it was like, oh yeah, there, there are so many things that were on that list, like, I, and I think there were things like, you know, can you like automatically deploy your software? It's like, like at the time that was actually a differentiator between companies, right? I remember now, how release I engineers who had to do it. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, now it would, now you'd almost, <laughs> uh, you'd almost like, maybe you could in some weird cheeky, like, you know, anti counterculture way, like be like, yeah, we still do manual deploys as like a selling point for your company or something. But like, I don't think, I don't think anyone coming into software now, like would think that that was the default. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's and always like hard using to, version like, control and all, all that. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Using version control. Right. Yeah. Like, that that used to be something that you would say like oh I need to ask this ask the company in the interview like are the are you using version control and yeah it's like and now it's 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 just like a given so I'm wondering how much of these agile things just kind of permeated into like yep that's just how you right like, you know like Jira so used like, to be like yeah. oh yeah like instead of a design document that's like 400 pages and then like yeah like the software needs to do this at the end of two years at some point it was like oh yeah this is like we're going to break work down into stories and we're going to think about things from like the user's perspective. Yeah. I think a lot of this just became like That's the collective the consciousness. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting too. Cause I was thinking about like, um, a lot of developers, like they don't, they they don't like doing a design on any level. And it's because agile said, I think it's either agile or XP It's like no big design upfront. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of developers don't know what a big design upfront actually is. I think because no one does that anymore. No one writes the 400 page design doc anymore. Right. They're like, any design must be that big design upfront that I was hearing about. So we don't do that. And it was just, it was very interesting. Like at Stitch Fix, I'd be like, hey, maybe we should like write a design before you start coding. And some developers are like, I don't, why would I do that? We don't do design upfront. And it's like, you need to think through what you're doing a little bit. And I don't think an agile person would tell you not to think through what you're doing, but yes, we're not doing big design up front, but it's like you said, like now it's table stakes. No one makes a big design anymore. So no one even knows what that is. Um, Right. So I don't know. It's very, very interesting. Um, Yeah. I don't, I mean, it still seems like it's a mess, right? 
Um, I, I worked on a big project at Stitch Fix where we had a date because the fashion industry, as you may or may not know, you do not launch a new uh, line um, in the summer or in the winter. You have to have it ready to go for spring or ready to go for fall. So we had a date. It was either going to be ready for spring or ready for fall. And business-wise, it needed to be ready for spring. So we started doing stuff. I wanted to do Kanban. I didn't want to track anything. I was like, look, we can just figure it out. And the team just did not get anything done. So we had to start making stories. And we were like, okay, people are asking us how quickly we're doing it. So we just said, okay, every story is one point. We're just going to show a burn down of just stories. And we're not going to say how big the stories are. We're not going to make the stories be one hour or one day or one week. We're just whatever we come up with as logical units of work, we'll do that. And it actually worked great because our little burn down showed progress enough to give a manager a sense of like, yes, we're working and yes, we're heading towards our goal. Um, we made them prioritize the stories so that we could be like, here's a line. We're going to ship either when that line is done or on the date and anything that doesn't make it, we'll do later or we won't do, but you prioritize this stuff. Um, but it was always a conversation with everybody and it worked great. And we didn't have any regimented sort of like rules about anything. We just had stories that we counted and that was kind of it. Um, and, but I, my job as the tech lead was almost entirely wrapped up in, making sure everybody understood that and keeping people at bay who wanted to do, who, who, who just wanted more information or who were ang anxious about the project. Mm -hmm. And like, that was not a fun job. <laughs> I did not enjoy that, but it did work. Yeah. Got results. Mm -hmm. We shipped in time for the spring season. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I also worked on a project, uh, you know, a very large project um, uh, that had, similar like strange uh time deadlines that you wouldn't think and that's like for for like big ag ag tech stuff where mm. uh you know if you're shipping software onto like a self-driving tractor uh you have the same kind of down seasons where like no farmer is going to like update their fleet of uh, <sighs> machine software like while they're in the middle of working like a 12-hour right, day is like yeah. planting or harvesting yeah um just interesting that like but these are also the companies that reach for the like heaviest agile process stuff that's going to say like yeah no fixed deadlines like right know, always, always have a releasable thing and it's like well actually we literally do get two releases a year so yeah um, yeah and th that's you yeah, wonder that's how the... much like big big upfront planning and design like would actually be more appropriate yeah yeah i would like you know um flight control software uh, I assume all the software that NASA uses, like they're under these constraint, like, like these constraints about like sometimes a thing has a deadline and there's a reason that deadline exists and it's meaningful and, and you can't ship the software, right? Like the, the tractor example is a really good one. We, we had one at stitch fix. We had like a customer service kind of app that the customer service team would use. And at a certain point there's like, you know, hundred or 200 customer service people and you can't just change stuff on them every day. Cause like right. they're in that every day in their job and like one, it's annoying and two, they need to be trained cause they're sort of like, they have a job that they're trained to do. And if their training all of a sudden doesn't match the software, that's not, nobody wants that. So then it's like, okay, well, what do we, what do we do? And so you'd have to get organized around doing releases and that's just a, a, a function of doing business. And I'm, I don't know what's, I mean, I, I can only imagine what some agile person would come up with to like get around that. but. The thing is, like, my need as a developer to get my software done has to take second place to the user's needs to use the software for whatever it's for. 
So like if I want to be done with something today, but the user can't accept the change today, I have to wait. The user shouldn't have to suffer because I need to be done with something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a, a nuance that a lot of these agile aphorisms like don't really address or charitably don't yeah. address. Maybe don't even respect. I don't know. I definitely get yeah. a vibe sometimes where they're like, the developers are in charge of everything. You do what we say. Everyone will kowtow to the way we want to work. And like that's not healthy, I don't think. Right. They, it doesn't seem to really capture like the the rest of like the organizational complexity around some things of like, Oh yeah. Like to, I think you raise a great example, like, Oh yeah. To add this new feature to the customer service tool, like that's, you know, a three, we can definitely achieve this by the end of the sprint and we will like launch it, you know, live to production or whatever. It's like, well, you didn't, you didn't account for that. It takes, you know, two weeks to rewrite the training manual or that there's, a new batch of people starting, you know, like we onboard new reps yeah. every month. And so like, actually you should not release this until, you know, September 1st because, you know, it's going to disrupt the cycle. And yeah, it's like, oh, well, you know, don't worry about that. Like, can we slice this, you know, and then <laughs> play like scheduling Jenga enough to like get this in our, in our, you know, next, uh, next sprint and like the developers can ship it and they want to turn yeah. it on because, you know, uh, work is not done until it's live in the hands of customers. And Right. Yeah, yeah. And so then you have to be like, well, like one of our other products that I didn't work on, um, they they suffered this problem acutely. And so they ended up having to build a, you know, a feature flagging, a complicated feature flagging system so that they could not only like get things into production without screwing up everyone's workflow, but then turn it on for certain users in certain cases. So they would flip it on for like the manager so the managers could play with it and update the docs. And then when that was done, they would do blah, blah, blah. And all of that like requires some planning to figure out like what's the way to do that and how should that work. And that has to be part of it too. So that's, you know, when you're, you can't just take a feature and build it. You have to think like, well, how, how is this going to go out to the users? And the answer might be, oh, we'd have to build some complicated thing first to allow it to be, to be managed. And, you know, that requires some planning um yeah yeah. a little bit of design you know and i think that's okay i think a lot of agile people would say that's okay but it's very hard to read the agile literature and think that that's okay right and i mean it's it's like a sufficiently complex scenario that like i understand why and you're like introductory materials like you're gonna sort of gloss over that but yeah when like reality hits and that's how things are working in your context you have to be able to uh, you have to be able to adjust. And I think that's what the principles uh, mm. versus the practices of Agile would, would tell you, right? Is, yeah. is like you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you know, just put your head down and follow this because, uh, you know, it was, it was written in the, the handbook. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, you've got a, you've got a big organization where you've got veterans, uh, you've got managers who came up through software, managers who didn't, junior people, and all of them aren't going to necessarily read about a software process and understand the purpose of it, right? You have to say, why is it important? Like, what problem are we actually solving by having sprints? What problem used to exist that now we've solved by you know taking a more of a user focus? And that stuff will be obvious to people with a ton of experience who maybe have been through it, but not a junior developer. So a junior developer may view agile just as bureaucratic and terrible as waterfall because mm-hmm. it's sort of handed to them without any context. Um, and they're not going to know like, well, 
what was the alternative to making user stories that I get done in a sprint? Like, why was that? What, what, they won't even know that there was a thing before that's terrible that this is solving yeah. for. Um, yeah. And that can be hard to get across to everyone at every level in the way that they're going to understand it. Do you know the the show uh, Hot Ones? The, no. Like, hot Hot Wing Eating. Oh, thing? is that what it is? Okay, I probably know of it. I didn't know that was what it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as we go further in this discussion, I think we'll <laughs> we'll get spicier and spicier. Yeah. Um. So, I'm I'm curious. Um. I think it was like a George Carlin quote that said like Imagine the like uh you know intelligence of the average person and then remember that half the people are uh, you know, dumber than that. <laughs> right. Um, so I kind of wonder, like, if you imagine, like, the ability of the average software developer and then remembering that half of them are worse than that. Yeah. Like, is there, is there like, uh, a benefit to having, like, these strict agile practices and e- even something like saying, like, yes, we can only give you, like, stories that have been broken down less than one day right as like a risk mitigating factor for the like decaying ability of the average uh you know yeah the average engineer like i i mean it's absolutely like, you could believe that it's yeah and i think it's like it's definitely sort of an uncomfortable like truth as as the industry and i think it is overall a good thing like tries to um bring in more people and as the yeah. field grows like that's good and like we want growth in the in the field but there's like the unavoidable uh like pyramid nature of like experience and skill where like the more new people we bring in that means like the average you know level of experience or uh, right i don't know if i want to say ability but um there's probably some correlation there yeah i mean it becomes lower and lower so like we say that like well actually we want like to treat people with like kitty gloves and say that like, yes, one person on the team needs to break down every story into these like bite-sized pieces because that's yeah. like all that we can realistically uh, right, expect. Right. Well, it, it may, right. It, it makes sense. Right. Cause you, uh, like I think about experience level as like, what can, how much information do you need to get something done? And so mm-hmm. someone with a lot of experience who knows the domain very well, right. The answer is like, they don't need much, but someone's right out of college or boot camp needs a ton. They need a ton of, and, and it's actually a shitty situation for them to be thrown into something with no guardrails because they won't even know what to do. They'll flounder and they'll just, they'll just fail. So they need to be told on some level, like, here's what you need to do. Um, the, the, the hard part is when you get people who don't want to be told, who are being told too much what to do for their comfort level. And it's kind of annoying because you feel like you're being talked down to. And I think the thing that makes it all complicated is a lot of these, it's not just the agile guys, but a lot of people are like, oh, software is a craft. It's an art. And they paint it as this thing where it's like you show up to the wood shop with a piece of wood and you like make furniture. And it's like, not exactly. Sometimes like a thing needs to get done and there's only so many ways to do it and you just need to get it done. And like, we are here to do a thing and perform work and perform labor and deliver a product. And yes, it's not the same as working at a steel mill, but it's also not like we show up at our art studio every day and just come up with stuff either. So you need to have some way to figure out like, okay, how much, how many, how how much are we going to, are we comfortable telling people what they need to do specifically? And do we have a process to figure out what to tell them to do? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And if we're not willing to commit to that, then you either need to hire people who can figure it out on their own 
or just deal with chaos, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think what you said, like, right. How, how else can you bring people who don't know what they're doing yet up to be successful and get the job done and also learn more what they're doing? Yeah, it, it feels it feels too like it's especially tricky to balance like what is being like uh, patronizing and what is like providing like um, the environment in which you need to succeed, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I don't, oh, like even just thinking about that, it like kind of stresses me out of like how do you, like that seems like you have to have a lot of like tact and uh, uh, you know, it's a very precarious situation to be in of like, I want, I want you to be able to succeed, uh, you know, early in the early stages of your career. But I also like, don't, you know, I I want, I want you to learn the, the underlying reasons behind something. And sometimes you just need to like, uh, you know, trust, trust the experience to say like, yeah, just like do this and don't question it. (laughs) Right. I do wonder how like other industries, work like I have some friends who are um, architects and I have to assume there's there's some similar there's some analogs right because when you're making a building like there's some design decisions that you need to make there's some creativity Mm -hmm. there and there's some stuff that I would guess is very very hard to completely express up front even when you get the plans I mean one of my friends she goes to the site for the building that she designed to watch them put it together and make sure that they're interpreting the plans correctly so I wonder like how how that works, um, and if there's some lessons yeah. there. Because I mean, my my two friends, they like, you know, th- when they were junior, it was like they were told, like, "Here, go do this." They were told what to do, and they were like, "This is this is a job." And there's a lot of engineers, and I'm definitely one of them. I do not like to be told what to do. And people tell yeah. me what to do, I'm like, "Come on, I can figure it out." You know, I definitely get this attitude, and I don't know how I was allowed to get that attitude, but like that just seems to be the vibe sometimes. Is like. Engineers don't always like to be told what to do. And so how do you get them to do a thing that they need to do? Yeah. I mean, I just like my immediate reaction to that was like, that would never, the, 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 the story of like, yeah, this, this, you know, the site supervisor or whatever is like going to the building site to make sure it's like done according to this. Like that would never fly in like the culture of software development, at least. No, I mean, no, not in a million years. That's, that's, that's the literal like architect astronaut trope that's right you know someone who's not doing the work is going to go decide how the work's going to be done and then they're going to come and monitor and make sure that the work you know is uh you know you are my hands (laughs) i am i am the i am the mind yeah but the way i think about it actually is i forget who said it but they said that the the code is the design so if you think about this analog to building a building like the blueprints that's like a code and so instead of like a bunch of people building the building we have the the computer just does what the code says. Um, but you still need all this observability because it's like kind of hard to know how is it all going to work together. So I need some way to observe what the code's actually doing to make sure it's doing what I thought it should do. Um, so that's how, in my mind, I, th- I think about that. Like, I, just because I can't imagine someone drawing a UML diagram and handing it to me and then coming up next week and seeing if I like wrote the code. Yeah. I guess if we um, had all this figured out, then engineering would be easy. You wouldn't need to pay a bunch of people a lot of money to figure it out without being told what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I do wonder, like, in a hundred years, what it's going to be, what it's going to be like. Because um, I guess I'm trying to think. I mean, when was software engineer not a job? I mean, probably within my lifetime. 
I don't may, maybe before maybe yeah. a little bit before my time, but still not a hundred years worth of this yeah. industry even I mean, existing. Certainly, I think like you had computer programming as a field in like you know the '60s and '70s. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think it was until the I'd say like the at least my understanding is like the maybe the late '80s when like yeah. the sort of the field emerged. Yeah, and um, I don't know, and it's I mean. I just you observe like every new group coming in, not not learning the lessons from the previous group and reinventing the same solutions to the same problems, and it's annoying. But you also get it because it's like, how do you learn that yeah. all those are problems? To like you just you just come into it and you're like, oh well, I need a way to you know um, package my CSS. It's like well that already exists but it's not written in JavaScript. Okay. Um, you know, again and again and again, and will that ever settle down or will that just be the yeah. way it is forever? I don't know. Uh, it feels kind of bad because I think we both have said, you know, today that like, um, a lot of times people don't understand the reasons why yeah. things are happening. And it's like, well, what's like, how do you do that? Well, like the best way to understand the reasons why is to like experience the pain yourself and then <laughs> sort of like, reason through it uh on your own and then like ah now i sort of can see you know the the hidden structure of things behind you know the yeah. facade and yeah or you have a class that explains it right but i don't know if you i don't know if you got a computer science degree but i did and they they didn't teach you anything about software engineering it was all like mathy stuff yeah which is fair enough that's what computer science is but it doesn't teach you how to like be a working programmer like i don't know how the only way i know how to do that is is to like you just said go do it and fail enough to learn the the right lessons hopefully before yeah you know. it, it does feel a little bit sometimes like we're trying to pull the ladder up as we as we climb it of like oh yes like we've figured out all the reasons behind yeah. this stuff like you yeah. got you know this next wave like you don't need to figure out the reasons like here you know here we go yeah yeah but then the people that know all the reasons are too busy you know like um doing the work and not uh <laughs> you know selling the courses about the work right right yeah, I mean, some of the best engineers I've worked with like would never go to a conference, never speak at a conference, never write a tweet, never do anything. Yeah. And they share their knowledge with like people they're mentoring at work, um, but like that's the scope of their influence. And I get it. Um, you just want to do your job and go home at the end of the day, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they're well, influencing a few people, and that's that's probably like the largest, like the you know the the majority of people like mm-hmm. in the field like have not like read a software engineering book in like, you know, the past, you know, five years right. or whatever, like don't, they don't watch like programming lectures in their spare time or, uh, you know, follow like what did the latest, you know, thought leader mm-hmm. on Twitter, what, what is, what is the discussion yeah. uh, about? And yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like kind of why, I mean, that will be interesting if the industry grows, you'll have people who are not like quote unquote passionate about engineering. They're just like, I want a job and I can do this job. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, why do I want to like, I guarantee you like my, I mean, my, my wife is interested in public health. That's her job, but she doesn't spend hours doing side projects in public health. My architect friends don't design other buildings at home after they're done working. Um, They just do their jobs and they enjoy their jobs, you know, but 
there's lots of jobs where professional development is actually like a, um, it's sort of like a obligation, right? It's like right in medical do, field, you have to continue you need education. to do so much professional development and it's like oh like yeah i have to go in on like you know saturday morning for this like eight hour like refresher course and yeah at least like the the programming culture that i was sort of brought up in it was like that was like no like you that's like the fun you know nights and weekends type stuff (laughs) that like you're interested in and yeah yeah as as programmer became like one of these uh sort of prestige positions like you know lawyer doctor Mm. like software engineer it's like oh you can uh, you know, work from home or work in a, a non-terrible environment where you don't have to work, you know, 80 hours a week and you can make, you know, life-changing amounts of money and yeah. uh, you don't necessarily need a professional certification. Um, yeah, I think. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, yeah. the people that aren't, uh, you know, don't see it as a, as a, as, you know, like their life's hobby uh, right. are entering. That's yeah. fine. I think it's fine too, but to your point earlier, those people are going to need some structure about how are they supposed to do their job because they're not going to they're not going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out new ways of working because they think yeah. it's interesting. They're just going to be like, "Hey, what do I what do I need to do to be successful here?" and there needs to be an answer. And yeah. Yeah. So I th- I think it's kind of like a pet hobby of a certain programmer Twitter poster uh to to like uh, bemoan like the how all software is terrible right right yes everything is rotten and it's and it's like well uh that's fine but like what like what are what are you or like your schools of, of thoughts like doing to like at a at a large scale have any impact on it i mean certainly you can, right you can say at your small scale of like oh like that's why i do these things it's like okay well that's your company your team yeah your little corner of the internet uh for as bad as as we may think some of this agile advice is like if it's uh, a good enough solution being uh you know putting enough guardrails that we're sort yeah. of like it's like you're plugging plugging the dam with your you know your finger or whatever uh it's yeah like it actually has it has like more of an impact right like i'm sure these uh agile people that we think are maybe giving i won't say bad but like suboptimal yeah. advice like have on mass, like maybe done more to raise the bar of software quality. Maybe it's, we're just all like unhappy with like where the bar is. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it took it from like a two of ten overall to a three of ten. Right, and, like everyone's like it should be at like a nine of ten. Right, or we've normalized what is you know it's like oh this is now normal and now when I look at this is terrible. Like it's always terrible. Yeah. Like you just normalize even though it was better. Because you're right, if there was none of this, the default way of working would be waterfall because that, I think, is what people come up with in their mind. You plan, you design, you build, you test, you deliver. Like, that seems very logical. So so that is what we would be doing if there was no Agile, an Agile group to point to, hey, these are successful people that have these ideas and we should do that, boss. And the boss is like, all right, let's try it. Um, so that definitely, yeah, you're right. It definitely counts for something. And it definitely has had, you know, more of an impact than what, either of us might be doing on our teams if we ever had teams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that's always my yeah. thought is like, I'll be the CTO of a company and I will, I will set the way things I, I, I will, I will have control over that. So, um, it can, it can be done in the way that I think is, is a good, is a good way to work. Um, but as I'm sure you've experienced, like at the end of the day, I got to do whatever, like the CEO says we need to do X. I can either do X or argue that X is meaningless and right 
that's that those are the options so yeah. so even still it's like you know we're still under some constraints to do something and there's got to be a way to get it done um reliably or we don't look like we're doing our jobs yeah yeah so i think that brings us back to the uh the question uh hmm. breaking stories into small yeah i guess we never did small stories talk about um, that oh we did we did a little bit um, yeah so I, I will ask you um breaking stories down into one day or smaller like do we need it yes or no i think it's i think it's like a good question to ask can you do that and still and have your story still be something that's valuable to deliver i think that's a good question to drive i don't think it's a good rule to have to follow right so the so like the answer is no i cannot then you can have a real discussion well why not let's talk about this thing blah 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 um but if instead it's like you will go and come back with stories that are less than one day of work then you don't have that discussion you don't actually it's not it's not as it's not as good so i think it is a useful framing question to think about breaking up work i would i would add other questions to that too but i think it's not a bad question i think it's a bad if, rule if if pressed if pressed you got to say yes or no if you got to say it. yes or no then i would say no, i would say no um, yeah, I would I would stay away from quantitative rules like that. If pressed, I think I've almost I've almost flipped, and that I think <laughs> I came into our discussion today saying no, and I think I've been able to convince myself that um, yes, we do need them, but in a contrarian like as a method of uh, top down control, <laughs> I think it is needed. Yeah, I mean, what you were talking about before about like having a control and structure. If if that was how things are going to go, then yes, I then I could see the reason for wanting something quantitative like that. Like you know, break it down. Yeah, I want to see work done every day. I'm just yeah. yeah. I'm imagining like in today's like mostly remote um, context of like yeah, I think I think I would want to like slice down work and break it down into one day things. So that like you could course correct and be like, yep, it's been like three days. This was supposed to be a one day thing. Like, yeah, what what's happening? Absolutely. I don't want to be working on a task for like three days. It's going to be maddening. I want I want to have an organized like the end of the day. I'm done with this part of the work. I may not ship that part because it's intermediate, but I might use it to organize myself. And I think engineers would do well to work that way internally. Yeah, I think if you are going to have a very jurified, story pointed user story. Uh, process yeah then like yes you should do this yeah you should break it down yeah because uh because it will probably be someone with more experience uh breaking them down into digestible chunks and yeah. so you're if you're operating in a factory you probably <laughs> want to like use an assembly line. yeah yeah that's true i guess i guess that's what <laughs> my take will be makes sense <laughs> if you don't don't want to be an assembly line don't work in a factory Show notes, links, and a transcript can be found at yagni.fm. Today's guest was Dave Copeland. You can find Dave on Twitter at DaveTron5000. And I'm your host, Matt Swanson. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Swanson. Until next time, just remember, you ain't gonna need it.